if you learn how to control it, the entrepreneurial brain becomes the most powerful tool in your arsenal. In this podcast, I will dive deep into the psychology and biology behind it to help you understand yourself and ultimately become your best, most authentic self. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneurial Brain Podcast. Today I'm here with Abel James. He's a New York Times best-selling author, musician, online creator, and host of the award-winning Fat-Burning Man Show, rated as Apple's number one health podcast in eight countries with over 50 million downloads and 2,000 five-star reviews. Thank you so much for having me. Tell me a little bit about your journey. I mean, already mentioned musician, craftsman, health. So how do these fit together? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just an overwhelming curiosity that I've always kind of had that goes in multiple directions. And uh, growing up, I grew up in in rural New Hampshire in the States and uh, got very, very ill at a young age. And my mom happened to be a nurse. And when traditional Western medicine didn't help me and my brother anymore, I, I, short story, I got a, uh, a very bad illness and temperature that I couldn't shake when I was just an infant. And they pumped me full of all sorts of antibiotics and, and drugs. And I became mm -hmm. allergic to almost all of them. And I still am to this day. And so uh, my mother was like, well, geez, what do I do being a nurse in Western medicine, knowing that I can't help people like my own sons? Uh, she decided to go back to school and learn about herbal medicine and remedies from the woods and wild crafting and all that. So I uh, was raised in that wacky kind of alternative world that I wound up having a podcast in many mm -hmm. years later. But uh, in the middle there, I strayed from that approach and philosophy of eating real foods from the backyard and not being afraid of, of traditional foods, especially fats and, and things like that. Uh, in favor of, I went to a, a really good college and took on debt and then got a good paying job to uh, try to pay off that debt. And for the first time in my life with that job, I got great health insurance. And so I decided to go into that doctor every two weeks. I was living in Washington, D.C., and I got my urine and blood analyzed. And over the course of 18 months, the only problem was when I listened to this, this doctor's advice, to eat low fat, zero dietary cholesterol or as close as possible and keep running, you know, 20, 30 miles a week, which I did. And, and all of these other things I had put on about 30 pounds. He had put me on about a half dozen different prescription medications and all of my, my biomarkers were getting worse instead of better, even though I was in my <laughs> early 20s. And so uh, long story short, I lost everything in an apartment fire. And uh, that was about 12 years ago. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm just like, oh, great, you're fat and out of shape, too, and totally sick, even though you've been trying so hard following this advice and, and dieting and doing all these things. And so I'm just like, all right, let's try something different. And I decided to not be afraid of fats again and embrace traditional whole food eating and also combine it with nutrient partitioning and kind of the strategic use of macronutrients after workouts especially, and also combining that with intermittent fasting. And all of a sudden, I realized that I could get the body composition results I wanted. Uh, you know, I lost the 30 pounds in just over a month and got down to single uh, percentage 
body fat and started making personal bests. And, and I liked running, uh, did marathon running and, and some shorter distances and started just doing really well. And I'm just like, people deserve to know this because I was trying so hard following the wrong advice that it made me fat and sick mm-hmm. earlier than people around me with their feet up. <laughs> and so uh, people need to know that there's a better way, especially those who are willing to put in the work because it does take work. But once you know what to do and you follow the right sort of philosophies and, and training habits, then you can get the results you want. Amazing, beautiful, and really excited to to get more into the realm of the body, if you want, because here in my podcast, especially the last few months, was very much focused on like the mental aspect and certain things, breathwork, biohacking. But yeah, yeah. I also always feel like body and mind are connection uh, connected, and even the concept of mental health and physical health, like it doesn't make it makes a little bit of sense. But in general, these two we know also from the scientific lens that these are very tightly connected. So it's time to dive a little bit more into the body. And there I'm also excited because I've heard a few episodes of you where you also stay really distill it down. Like with nutrition, you can get so specific, all these different protocols. So yeah, there's maybe here from your mouth, from your perspective, where do we start in terms of nutrition, in terms of taking care of our bodies? Yeah, well, <laughs> thankfully for a lot of the people who aren't in the United States, you have a food tradition of some kind in the country you're in. And there are traditional ways of making food that are respected and honored. And in the States, there are almost no standards for our foods. Most people assume, that, like, <laughs> well, that's, you know, and that's spreading across the world. Those That lack of standards and just the extremely low quality food that's out there uh, is more and more everywhere. And you can see the ramifications, which are metabolic dysfunction followed by people, you know, gaining 30, 50, carrying 100 more pounds than they should, or even more than that. And that's become, I don't want to say the norm, but it is, you know, when you look around, it's, it's more abnormal to be your fighting weight, let's say, than it is, or your, your high school weight, than it is to be 30 to 50 pounds overweight. And uh, a lot of that is because we're eating these foods in large quantities that aren't terribly good for us and they cause metabolic dysfunction and so in large amounts especially in the states corn is the primary you know you go out to fast food or a restaurant and more than it's not uncommon for more than 50 or 60 percent of the calories to directly or indirectly usually come from corn itself and a lot of that corn is super low quality you know it's bred to be sugary and syrupy or last a long time on the shelf or be easily transported like other grains instead of being bred to be healthy and nutritious for you so going dialing it back just a generation or two to the more traditional foods where we're eating the heirloom varieties let's say of of grains that are a sourdough bread instead of the modern breads which might look like the ancient breads that our body still recognizes when you eat them but uh it's superficial it's like an easy bake oven it's completely full of fake food uh and artificial preservatives and chemicals that yes it may look these it may make these breads look really great but once you eat them you know you're getting some aluminum derivative or some artificial sulfates and all sorts of crazy things in your body at least my body freaks out when it reacts to a lot of these newfangled substances and chemicals which often act synergistically within the body 
to form dysfunction down the road. Whereas if you're eating the things that we used to be eating, like meats and vegetables with a few reasonable grains that were soaked, sprouted, fermented, or some other, you know, traditional way of preparing them instead of the quick and cheap way that most industry does it today. If you focus on local foods, whole foods in the true sense of the word uh, that are unadulterated by machines and not turned into their chemical con constituent parts and put put back together or whatever if you're focusing on real food you're going to do just fine and i would encourage people as well to have some sort of compressed eating window uh, or practice intermittent fasting for some portion of the day such that you're just not eating all day long because it's not as much about intermittent fasting and the benefits although there there are many and i've been a practitioner for about 10 years but it's more about what you're not eating all day. And that, that's going to go a long way. If you can just skip a few of those little snacks and start there, you're going to all of a sudden have a more reasonable hunger throughout the day. And that, that's really the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, re can't reconnect there. Can't. Uh, yeah. This kind of advice of really after because nutrition was where i was started also when i was like 14 15 going to the gym not making good progress and learning 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 and then having like all these different layers and then all these switching from one to the next to the next and after some years when you really realize okay in the end it really boils down to eat less processed maybe especially if you want to build muscle have yep. an eye on your protein intake and also the other macronutrients make some like the fat and carbohydrates but in yep. the end Focus on unprocessed foods and intermittent fasting also has been a game changer for me since I've started. I was used to having like some some wheat, some some cereals, even if it's some oats, starting with yeah. carbohydrates. And then I'm hooked in the, the cycle, even with oats. Like it was this kind of clean bro eating food, but I was really not doing with well at my digestion. I still I'm hangry, uh, hungry after one hour eating oats. So yeah, maybe start with the, the carbonutrients, the, the macronutrients intake, carbohydrates, fat, or elaborate a little bit more on fasting. So let's stay in that realm. Yeah, I if you're looking to lose weight or build muscle, and I would argue almost anyone out there, especially if you're over 40, protein is going to be the macronutrient that you want to focus on the most. And that's kind of like the box you want to check for each meal, or certainly throughout the day. And the numbers that I, I, I don't, tend to count but when i do you know it's it's upwards of 75 grams of protein a day depending on your size maybe more like one gram per uh pound of body weight but you know 100 grams 150 grams um if you're if you're larger or carrying a lot of muscle or you're really looking to achieve some fitness goals that's going to go a long way and what it's going to do is displace a bunch of junk carbs which mm -hmm. will spike your hunger instead of you know it's it's very difficult to overeat protein and and for me being hungry is the thing that screws me up and and screws most people around me up as well more than anything else it's just like oops i'm too hungry i make the wrong call it's coming from the lower part of the brains you have no control anymore it's just your willpower is used up you're making the wrong call you're eating too much and so if you focus on hitting um like if you only had canned sardines around you, it's going to be difficult to overeat those. Whereas if you have a bunch of chips or oats or even rice, it's there's no stop. And so anyway, focusing on protein first and then using fats to uh, to make 
veggies more palatable and make meats a little bit more palatable by, you know, thinking of bacon and bacon fat more as a condiment to make other things taste good that are nutritious and good for you. Uh, like thinking of making a stir fry, maybe with some eggs, onions, garlic, and, and a few greens thrown in there, some tomatoes or peppers, and trying to get a wide variety of foods, not just for the nutritional benefit of that, but also just for the mental benefit, because we get stimulation from food. And if food is too boring, uh, even to our eyes, then we're not as satisfied and we tend to eat more. And so we also use food as a drug because most of the mm -hmm. modern foods today are built like drugs and they act like drugs when you eat them, especially those that are really high in sugar uh, and, and starchy carbs and chips and junk foods and things like that. So it's not like you can never eat those again, but you only get a small budget of those. So you have to be careful with and, and honest with how you're treating the processed carb category and kind of the junk foods. And it's one of those things where every here and there, totally cool, that's totally okay. Like to our ancestors a few years back, they weren't eating, you know, cocoa puffs and dessert for breakfast every morning. Uh, and they were also probably outworking us by two or three times and burning off like two to three times the calories throughout the day because they weren't just, you know, desk jockeys staring into screens. They were working and using their bodies. So it's important to be aware of that. And if you're someone who's super active, then you have to fuel for that. And that's going to aid your recovery. But if you're someone who's not, then you can get away with more intermittent fasting, um, less food in general, and certainly fewer carbs. So carbs are something that you can have a lot of fun with. And they're scalable and dangerous. They're probably the most dangerous macronutrient because it's also kind of difficult to overeat fat in the absence of carbs, in the absence of sugar. So if you're focusing on protein first, and then you're going for the fats, and then you're having a bit of fun and, and filling things out with the veggies and all of the other fun foods, maybe the, the soaked fermented grains in that carb category, you can scale that against your age, your goals, your activity, and there are, it's really important to know that everyone is different and there are so many different ways of going about this. And just because it's working for you now doesn't mean that that's always going to stay the same. It's important to adapt. Yeah, yeah, beautifully put. And that's the process I'm also partly going through. Like in Germany, it was quite stable in terms of nutrition. Everything was dialed in with the gym routine. And then moving, it's also totally different demands on my body. I'm doing a lot less strength training, a lot more walking outside surfing, swimming, other stuff. And so the, the old intermittent fasting patterns, I'm sometimes, uh, yeah, see how I'm driven back to carbs if I'm not fully aligned. So I'm just experimenting with other things. Do you have any process of validation or is it really just sensing in and trying different things? So what are your thoughts on the, the flexibility and the changing versus finding something like these are the rules for how I eat. I eat my first meal at 12, my last meal at six and everything planned. So what's your thoughts on like that? Well, on a personal basis, I, I tend to keep things easy by doing uh, a large portion of the day is fasting or mostly fasting. I might have a few liquid calories from from fat or maybe a little bit of bone broth or something like that. But ketones or what are those liquid calories? What so are I we speaking of? Ketones or what kind of liquid fat calories? Uh, no, not ketones. I don't really take uh, keto supplements or or at least not supplements that are kind of like labeled like that but i'm, I'm talking about bone broth or a little mm -hmm. i like 
a bit of whipped cream or heavy cream in my coffee, which I'll have later in the day. And so I'll tend to have no calories until about noon. Um, but I am drinking coffee, water, uh, teas, and things like that, black, typically. And this hasn't always been true exactly this way, but this is kind of like how it's been for the past couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and, and by noon, uh, if I am hungry, which most days I'm not, I'll, I'll start getting in something that's hopefully low glycemic, unless I just did a big exercise session. But usually I save that for later in the day, for the afternoon. So on most days, um, I don't really eat until 3, 4 p.m., sometimes even 5 p.m. And I'll try to break my fast with something like uh, bone broth, uh, you know, or traditional soup with it that's got some salt and electrolytes in it as well, and some amount of nutrition. Also, focusing on the protein. If it is post-workout, then that's where you want to put the carbs and the high glycemic carbs as well. If uh, You know, I like coconut water. Um, after I get back from a run where it's really hot and sweaty out uh, and, and I like replenishing carbs post-workout. But if you try to do this in a different order, in a different way, I've worn a um, continuous glucose monitor and it shows on my rest days, certain, just a small amount of carbs can really spike my blood sugar. So depend, it, it really is important to say that it, it depends on what I'm doing and that's the scalable carb part mostly. But my uh every day i'm going to be eating uh some form of of meat and i tend to like ruminant animals more than uh seafood and and even chicken out here because living in rural colorado we mm. are far from the coast we're four hours from an airport and we don't have <laughs> access to wonderful seafood as much as i love seafood uh it's not something that that we really choose to eat a whole lot here but having meats and proteins uh, that are pasture raised, you know, we eat a lot of eggs, uh, trying to get the, the backyard variety, if you can, of eggs versus the industrial kind, you know, skewing more toward the local farmer. We order our meats in bulk. We eat nose to tail as well. So we're getting some of our nutrients from liver and, and you know, kidneys and all sorts of weird mm -hmm. stuff and throwing that weird into our stuff product. from our modern perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's a, and it also depends on which country you're in, how weird that is. But in the States, it's, it continues to be obscenely weird that anyone would eat anything except for muscle meat, for the most part. Um, but, you know, you, a, a little pate can go a long way in, in, in terms of nutrition and also in terms of just spicing things up and, and making it interesting. So we try to uh, go out and have fun by getting, you know, cheeses that we're interested in for like a new goat cheese or sheep cheese that we find uh, in our local store is really exciting to me and my wife so trying to make it like a, a, a small way of entertaining yourself and entertaining your taste buds with new drinks and herbal bitters and and just as much weird and old stuff that we can find to keep things interesting is definitely a part of that so meats uh some amount of veggies and then we usually make some sort of like homemade dessert, but we're doing it in a, in a more old fashioned way. And we're not using all of those ridiculous preservatives and, and junk. And we tend to, when we make our, our desserts, while it does have some carbs and maybe even some sugar in it, it, uh, the source of that sugar tends to be from real food, like 
like ground up dates or something like that to sweeten uh, one of our baked goods or, or, or to make some cupcakes and focusing much, much less, uh, if at all, on the, the fine powders. If you think of like a white powder or a flour, we, we don't really use those and, and the white sugars as well. Um, not that, you know, it's a color thing. It's more just about a processing thing. If it's been processed that finely, it doesn't matter if it's gluten-free and it's tapioca starch or, or paleo-friendly or keto-friendly. Uh, a lot of these things that are labeled that way are complete nonsense and not real food. So trying to keep the, the junk foods and those fine processed powders and syrups to a minimum is something that we could all benefit from. Mm. And the last point you mentioned, it's actually quite interesting to me, like what kind of foods are labeled into this health. It starts with then thinking in these categories, like this is the, the good, the clean stuff, also from the bodybuilding perspective, clean eating, and there's the, the unhealthy stuff. And yeah, processed versus unprocessed, I think it's a much better lens in terms of thinking about these things than in terms of the, oh, this is the classy stuff. And I wanted to do touch on one point that you mentioned previously, and now again, this kind of stimulation, the drug aspect of food. Because I also made crazy having like an ADHD brain stimulation and dopamine plays a big role. And when you do like a kind of dopamine detox, really all, all the, the supplements, you know, tropics and the, the behavior, like no social media. But I, sometimes I didn't really account for the food. And I could see, especially on those days or weeks when I'm trying to really go into this like oof, down chill mode, then I'm much more like my, my subconscious might stand, okay, where can I find stimulation or food? And then the, the sugary cravings are there. So Yeah, any, any further insights that you have in terms of this role of food, the behavioral, the stimulation aspect? Yeah, well, it definitely makes it a lot easier if you don't have ice cream in the fridge <laughs> and chips on the shelf to begin with. But try to practice your, don't go shopping hungry. You know, try when you're, it's when you're shopping that you're really making your food decisions. We think that it's like in the moment when we're about to eat something bad and get the Ben and Jerry's from the fridge. But if your brain knows <laughs> that you have Ben and Jerry's or those chips somewhere, your other favorite food stashed somewhere. It doesn't matter where you hit it. It's in there. Your brain <laughs> knows and it's waiting for you. It's calling to you all day. Whereas if you have to, you know, lace up your shoes and then you get to your car or, or go out there and actually pick up some junk food when you crave it, we're just not going to do it <laughs> because we're too lazy. Uh, for the most part and and the times that you do want to do it and it's really worth it go splurge like that's totally awesome but we shouldn't be able to splurge that easily because uh Rich, once again know. living out here in rural colorado it's a it's a high desert we're at eight thousand feet and i was just imagining this morning you know what it would be like to try to source two thousand to three thousand calories for each person every day from the land here it would be mm extraordinarily hard whereas you know you can you can just polish off 2,000 calories in 15 minutes in front of the tv with a bit of ice cream or some chips or some other junk food and so it's really important to keep that context in mind food is valuable and, and calories in general food energy is is really valuable but we don't see it that way because it's so abundant and because we're marketed to all day we take it for granted uh, and and once again that's why intermittent fasting can be really helpful more from a lifestyle and almost spiritual perspective because the act of saying no is 
and, and being stronger for it is self-empowering. And if we're saying yes to all day, to all these junk foods, to all this marketing and, and all the rest of it, well, we know where that goes. Mm. Absolutely. Before we move on, I would actually love to before intermittent fasting, restricting the eating window had dropped quite a few times. So what are the actual benefits of doing it that way? Maybe the intermittent, but also the, the full day one two day fasting. So let's dive into fasting for a little bit. The biggest and most obvious benefit to me was that I, I am not hungry like I was before. And when I first started intermittent fasting, I was worried that all my muscles would fall off or I'd run out of energy or I'd be hungry all day. But in fact, I learned that I wasn't, uh, I don't tend to be hungry until I start eating that day. Uh, it, it's kind of the opposite deal. Once your body gets set up and builds the metabolic machinery too fast for extended periods of time, then your metabolism essentially becomes more efficient. And you can burn fat that's stored on your body or, or that you're eating or drinking much more readily. And you're not in that storage mode constantly. And the way that the body works is in cycles. And essentially, you can be in the overfeeding cycle, which is great for uh, growing muscle, for, for kids, uh, and for putting on fat as well. And that's when you're in a calorie excess. Your, your cells are dividing instead of cleaning up and running efficiently because you're living in a land of plenty and you know, it seems like things are going pretty well and the food just keeps coming. Whereas when you engage this other mode, the catabolic mode of under eating or intermittent fasting, your body doesn't have to put all of this energy into digestion. It doesn't have to pull all of your blood and energy <laughs> down into your stomach to digest all day. Um, it can actually go and, and clean things up and kind of do the maintenance work. And, and obviously, I'm speaking way meta here, and this is not like a scientific way of talking about it. But generally speaking, a way to think about it is that you're in cleanup mode and you're doing your body, you're allowing your body to take a break from constantly digesting, which is work. And, and that's a cue to your body to uh, increase longevity, essentially, by going to the instead of dividing, um, instead of your cells dividing in this excess energy circumstance uh, with a lack of outside energy your body conserves its cells and goes into repair mode often called autophagy and once you're in that mode and and your body is used to fasting for a few weeks sometimes it's it's not easy for everyone to get there but eventually you do and and for me i can just kind of cruise through the day with clear thinking and not have to worry about eating or being hungry it just the ben and jerry's in the fridge or the ice cream or the chips even if they are there i'm just not thinking of it i don't want it because i'm not in that mode i'm doing something else and i really you know for someone who's played music for a long time and and puts in hours of practice often on a daily basis it's really important to have productive uninterrupted time and so the other benefits are just like a, a lifestyle um where if you don't have to and obviously, it doesn't work exactly like this if you do have young kids, for example, but especially if you're younger or you're single, uh, instead of waking up and, and thinking of what you want for breakfast, preparing mm. it, then up after it, and then maybe a little mid-morning snack, and then, oh, got to do the same thing for lunch and get that ready and then clean up after that. And your whole day is gone. <laughs> you know, it's like if you if you put an hour toward each meal and 
I don't think that's even enough. Let's say it's two hours towards some meals, you know, the, the three martini lunchers or whatever that some people have. <laughs> it's just like you got a couple hours for breakfast that are done. No productivity there. You've got a couple hours for lunch. Done. A couple hours for dinner. That's six hours a day right there. And uh, if you trend more toward the one to 1.5 meal a day type uh, strategy that I've been doing for about 10 years now, then you have one meal a day that you have to think about, prepare for, and then clean up after. And you can also really enjoy it in a different way, in the same way that when you uh, go out in the woods for a while, you go camping or you're just really dirty and you haven't had a shower in, in longer than you've needed a shower, you know, and you really need one. It's the best thing ever. Um, as opposed to if you're just hopping in every day and you're in the, I don't know, it doesn't feel like anything anymore. But when you deprive yourself of that convenience for even a short period of time, you start to appreciate things more and often eat less. Now, it doesn't work like this perfectly for everyone. If you're pregnant, if you're a young kid, fasting isn't going to be uh, a good daily strategy. But I, I think for almost everyone out there, it's really important to know what true hunger is instead of just like the convenience hunger where you know food's there and it's something to do and you're looking for stimulation. You need to know what true hunger is and engaging in that catabolic state is, is really a vehicle to get there. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Couldn't agree more. And one more thing I would have to add to it, because then if I sometimes start breakfast early at 11 or 12, and then you eat a little bit too much, and then you're back in that digestive mode. So energetic, and then now poof, that slump immediately. So always, and yeah, just huge mental clutter. Like I'm in the Flow Research Collective, and we always talk about cognitive load. And like you mentioned it, food, it's also so deep into our survival brain, because that's just what we had to spend most of our energy to keep so survive. So if you are able to reduce that like it's oh, so freeing so intermittent fasting for the win Absolutely. another thing you mentioned the kind of pleasure and simplicity components so i'd love to use that as a kind of hook to go into like the, the psycho psychological the, the gratitude in terms of the feud so in terms of being grateful for the feud and do you have any thoughts in that realm like the importance the benefits any practices like how do you approach food in general yeah well we do know that eating food, even the same food has a different effect on your body if you're in a different physiological state. So if you're in uh, the fight or flight state when you're eating, for example, as opposed to the the rest and digest, then uh, indigestion is a real thing. We, we've all experienced this, you know, N equals one where you're a little bit stressed out and you try to choke down some calories and then you're like, oof, Ow. <laughs> you know, a little bit later, it's not working out so well. And there's a way to, to train, <clears throat> excuse me, to train your body to uh, relax and get into that rest and digest mode. And often our body takes cues from our environment and from our circumstances. And so uh, all of your, your screens and your phones, it's best to have them away from you when you're eating. It's, it's really unusual that anyone would have had anything like that when they were eating. If you look back just a few generations, it would be really bizarre to have some sort of device that everyone uh, is, or, or especially separate devices that people are all on and engaged with while they're eating their food, which would have been, uh, for many people, the most, uh, aside from maybe prayer, the most sacred part of the day, wouldn't it? And, and oftentimes, uh, food before you eat food, there was some sort of prayer. So much of that has gone away. 
Um, but it's not even the prayer that really was so useful necessarily, but what the prayer did to your physiology, to all of our physiology. When you, when you take a deep breath, when you clear your mind, uh, even for a few seconds, even for a few minutes, your blood pressure goes down. And, and for, for me, um, having a health podcast for like 10 years, being sent all these different gizmos and devices to try, I can personally attest that (laughs) if something went sideways during the day and I got really stressed out, my blood sugar spikes. Like Mm -hmm. it spikes more than during my workouts and more than from eating uh, sugar straight up. Like we tend to think of, of food only affecting us in certain ways and, and certain foods doing certain things, but that is, is just not how it works. It's a multivariate equation with lots of variables, and we need to uh, account for that kind of holistic aspect of everything. So if there's a way that, that you can approximate what a nice restaurant would do with a few candles or flickering lights with no, you know, what does a trashy restaurant do? <laughs> like a sports bar. <laughs> They've got TVs everywhere, right? What does an an elegant restaurant do that that you know all the women want to go to for the most part or be taken to? It's the elegant ones with that are romantic, and the reason it's romantic is because you can focus on each other or you can focus on your food, and so we can approximate that every day if we want to with every meal, and uh, you can do that mostly just by turning down the noise. And yes, it does take a little bit of willpower and you won't be able to check your text messages for 15 to 20 minutes, but it's worth it. And when your brain focuses on the food that you're eating, uh, we know uh, that you tend to eat less food because you notice your food more. There is more stimulation when you pay more attention. And it's all about kind of managing our attention. And I would extend the fasting to technology and especially social media. Yeah. Like once you start fasting from food, you realize that you can give up other things for for periods of time or cycles of time and you don't have to worry about craving that anymore. You don't have to worry about that taking up space in your brain and you can focus your attention more on what you actually want to get done. And sometimes that's eating a, a wonderful meal with people people you love. And that's going to be better every time if you don't have the TV on or if you're not on your phones. We all know this. It's hard to do this, but <laughs> do it. It's it's worth the willpower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And in the beginning, it's willpower. But if you make it into a habit, into a ritual, it can even, yeah, you begin to enjoy the immediate benefits, like really taking the time to thank the food, to, to connect with, to calm yeah. down. Because we like the food and nutrition it's been spoken a lot so i actually am quite happy that i touched on this because it's in our society if you look at how people consume food so often it's just like yeah rush to the work and chunk in some bread and eat while doing other things so that's the other part of the picture crappy processed food and then not even being mindful not even taking the time to respect the food and your body to process it so right that's the good one you mentioned it in the beginning, music. So I would love to touch a little bit on that. Can you tell a little bit about how music in terms of your creative process and how does that influence your work, your life? So what's the role of music, the, the creativity? In terms of brain health and the health of your physiology, there are a few things that are better than music for fine tuning your dexterity, your reflexes and also your attention, your listening and your focus. And it's, 
it's one of those things where I've tried going without music as a practice for a while, and I'm just not as sharp. I'm not the same person. I don't feel like me. Uh, not to say that it's it's for everyone, but it used to be. And being able to you know clap out a decent rhythm or hear it in your head or bang on something and and have it be uh, a, an actual rhythm is something that like everyone used to be able to do. It was a part of almost all of our cultures, and mm. for that to be taken away, we're we're really bankrupting ourselves of of something that is nourishing to the soul more than anything else. And I think it is intimately connected with dance and with visual art as well. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter which domain you want to express yourself in. I would encourage people to kind of dabble in all of them and see what you like. But when you when you also have something, <laughs> I'm not a fan of cold showers. You know, no, I, I, I know, love cold showers. I love cold exposure. I know a lot of people <laughs> so, are. So here's the deal. Like I wake up and uh, a lot of times I'll practice scales. I'll just do like, soul crushing technical exercises on, you know, piano or guitar or whatever, mm. or even voice. And it's soul crushing in the same way that a cold shower is, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think it's another way of doing, and there are other benefits, obviously, of cold thermogenesis and cold showers and, and things like that. But in a way, when you set up a daily practice that is difficult and that, that oftentimes you don't want to do, but you wake up every day a little better, or a little sharper because you you kind of crushed yourself a little bit the day before. Um, there is something to that, and, and there's something to that for developing a strong will and and a strong a strong sense of who you are and confidence in yourself. Having a craft of any kind, you know, it could be woodworking or it, it, most. My grandmother just passed away about a year ago at 97, but it, later in her life, she got really into sewing and crocheting. And so like whenever she was on the couch uh, or, or on in the corner of the room, just kind of sitting there, she'd be using her fine dexterity and using her brain. She'd be doing crossword puzzles and things like that. So it's really important to keep ourselves occupied. And one thing that music does and other arts and, and crafts as well are they put you in the creative mode instead of the mode of consumption. And we are being trained, whether we like it or not, all day long, whenever we're using technology to consume. And I think if we weren't consuming so much social media and so much blah, 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 we wouldn't be consuming so much food. It's the same act. It's the same habit of craving something external to yourself. This gets very meaningful and spiritual if you go deep enough on it. But if you can uh, start to practice being in the creative mode of playing a little song or doing a little jig or, or making something with your hands or, or drawing a picture or writing a few words, if you can do these things, then uh, especially build the practice of doing these things, then all of a sudden the cognitive benefits and the benefits to what you create is going to be obvious, very, very obvious. For me, it's that's how I write a book is by doing a little bit, writing a few sentences a day or, or a few sentences every few moments. And then eventually it, it, it becomes a book. And a similar thing with with music. It's, it's one of those it's one of those domains that if you're missing out on it and you're only experiencing the superficial level of it, you totally are missing out because there's so much just uh, rich goodness for your brain to kind mm. of experience uh, in these and a lot of the music that you can listen to to get into this high information music and high quality music is is really by dredging up a few decades or even a few centuries ago 
some of the best music that was out there and popular then. You, even if you look at the complexity of the music that we're listening to and that our brains are processing or that we're dancing to, um, we are extremely primitive compared to our grandparents and great grandparents generation who were listening to highly complex jazz music and dancing to it mm -hmm. with ridiculous rhythms and all sorts of, uh, you know, bells and whistles on it compared to what we have now where we've, uh, most people have lost the ability to dance and to uh, hear what a rhythm is. And each of these different rhythms and these different songs gets our brain into a different state. Some of these states are productive, some of them not so much, but a lot of them help us process different emotions and get in touch with deeper pieces of who we are than the logical brain can ever access. So going to art and the right brain type activities mm -hmm. like music and, and arts can really help you upgrade your own um, emotional health and, and mental health in a lot of ways. There's a reason it works. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the, the ritual of going up and then going straight into music. That's actually also in terms of the brainwaves that you get up when you are still just coming out of sleep. It's perfect to immediately drop, in, drop into flow because you are coming from somewhat similar brainwaves. So I would love to be able to do that. Unfortunately, my body needs like three hours to be fully awake. So I rely on my cold showers and some movement and other stuff first to get into a somewhat productive state. <laughs> But um, yeah, beautifully put also what you mentioned, like the correlation between self-expression, music, dance, because that's something I experienced when I was whatever, 18, 19, maybe even 20, just in these clubs. And I think, okay, I don't really like dancing because you're so robotic, so totally out of touch with that right brain hemisphere as someone who's always in the linear logic mathematics. And then getting connected with it is so beautiful. I'm also here with the help of plant medicine, starting to find joy in singing and rhythm. And you mentioned it's like this tribal, everyone is, is connected and you make music together. And it's crazy how, how much, on what kind of interesting states you can get just by music, this connectedness, this creativity, this, this oneness that you experience. So it's really can't, looking forward to get more into music. <laughs> yeah. And if you put in just a little bit of work on your own, the real fun comes when you collaborate with other people, when you, mm. you know, when you sing with other people, when you dance with other people, or when you're making music for or with others, it just nothing beats that. And so the part of this is kind of the willpower and the daily practice and upgrading your dexterity and things like that. But then the real gifts and the fruit of all of that is when you get to uh, share that with other people and, and cross pollinate ideas and, and make music. Yeah, just make music. Beautiful. Can't wait to get a tang drum because there's, I think, some instrument. Guitar I've picked up a few times, but like the, the, the initial hurdles are quite quite a bit to get started. But yeah, music itself. Yes, there are many plateaus. <laughs> I can't imagine. But yeah. Same as fitness, though. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. a very similar deal. True. Yeah. It was also beautiful learning, looking back and every level you learn something new and you're able to plug and play just different movement modalities, integrate them. Also have this holistic view of not only being in a gym and having gaining muscle as the, the only lens, the only goal, but thinking of longevity, the body, movement, fluidity, energy levels. That's also. Okay. Absolutely. Looking back to kind of slowly drift into the, the wrap off, looking back at your, your career, your, your life, what are like one or two core lessons in the terms of taking care 
of your body or but also in terms of your your health like keep the not the mental part out of it what would be one or two key lessons that if you would really need to distill it down that you would yeah give to someone sorry i lost the connection a little bit would you mind asking yeah. me that again no no worries the connection sorry for that but yeah looking back at your your life your work your experience in a kind of health health world let's call it health world not mental not physical but health what are one or two of the key lessons key advice that would give someone if you really have to prioritize distill it down so yeah in terms of the importance yeah i would say engage in those two cycles of of the uh eating and not eating and learn what that means what what true hunger looks like um honor your water as well it's it's very important to uh you know, sit down and, and honor our food, but our water oftentimes is completely looked over. Whereas if, if you look back a few generations and certainly to almost every ancient culture out there, water was the most sacred thing there there was, especially the water that you're going to be to be drinking. And um and so focusing on water quality is is much easier said than done. I'm not sure what it's like uh over in Europe and in other parts of the world, in some places it's better, but in a lot of places it's, it's much worse than here in the States. But in the States, much of our water is polluted completely. And if you're getting it from the tap and you're drinking that, you're also drinking a, a giant amount of, of chlorine, all sorts of different rocket fuels and chemicals that have been <laughs> leaching into our systems for a long time. Lead and heavy metals. Uh, my wife and I have both tested high in heavy metals multiple times. And uh, even if you try to do everything right, it's still very difficult to get high quality food and water and, and, and stay clean. So anyway, focusing on getting enough uh, water and often will help regulate your hunger and make sure that you're not drinking a bunch of junky soda or or other caloric things throughout the day. It's really important to stay hydrated. It gives gives your liver a break as well. Detoxification and the whole detoxification pathway is a part of under eating, fasting, and uh, the catabolic state. So allowing your body to go into that on a regular basis is is really important. And then you know, uh, I would say it's really important to recognize that we are all individuals and there are so many different ways of going about this. There are many philosophies and pillars that will remain true, like eating high quality proteins, for example, eating a bit of fat and not being too afraid of it, and then avoiding most sugar. If you just do those things <laughs> and you drink enough water and you eat your veggies, then you're pretty much doing the best that you can. There are, yes, rabbit holes you can go down, you can turn certain knobs up and down, but if you do those few basic things, you're going to be you know, 70 to 80% there. And so it's more important to do these things on a daily basis than it is to try to search for the next magic bullet or the next fancy fad diet or whatever it is, because we already have the answers. We don't need more answers from social media or from the next you know fad diet or, or whatever we have enough right now it's just more about putting it into daily practice beautiful again just down to the basics let's do these things abel thanks so much for being on the show really enjoy to going a little bit more into the direction of the body so where can people find more about you your podcast get in touch 
Of course, and, and thank you for having me. The easiest place is probably going to be fatburningman.com. And that's the name of my podcast as well, Fat Burning Man. You can find me under Abel James, A-B-E-L James, on most social media. And ableJames.com has some of my virtual reality tours, music videos, uh, my new book of poetry and satire, and all sorts of other stuff. So come check it out. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today on the Entrepreneurial Brain Podcast. If you like the show, please take a minute to review our show on iTunes or any other podcast platform. This will help me a ton to reach a bigger audience with the podcast, but also the most important thing to really get world-class leaders, world-class performers, experts, scientists, and ultimately just create amazing episodes with a lot of value for you. Thanks in advance for your support. My name is Maurice, and I will see you on the next show of the Entrepreneurial Brain Podcast.